0: Welcome back to Conversations With Her. My name is Phaedra Prendergast, Editor-in-Chief of WTC Magazine, the number one print and digital magazine for all things enterprise and community. I share stories of women who are typically never found on the front line and place them on our front covers to inspire the next generation of female leaders.
1: For retailers to be successful in today's world, they need to include hope and they need to include happiness and they need to include humanity because otherwise it's just too easy to click yes and not venture out
0: Today I am joined by Mary Gay McKee, a powerful authority in global luxury retail, who has worked for and led three of the world's most iconic brands, Estee Lauder, Harrods, and Saks Fifth Avenue. During her time at Harrods, she was responsible for solidifying the retailer's status as the prime luxury shopping destination, particularly for tourists. It's a big
1: challenge for a lot of the large department stores and a lot of the large brands today is- what do you incorporate into the retail algorithm and into the retail positioning platform? That makes it really attractive for people, for people to have to actually go to your destination, park a car, and put two or three hours of time out of their day to go visit you. And so to me, that's the privilege. It's the privilege of making the pilgrimage worthwhile.
0: Now as co-founder and general partner at Fernbrook Capital Management, her venture capitalist and private equity firm, she is a tech investor and a strategic retail analyst, however always a merchant at heart. She works with talented young founders and entrepreneurs, invested in their businesses and helping them scale their companies.
1: the first thing is like, I would definitely never ever use the word powerful where, where I'm concerned but really? I would probably use the word very uh, real but um yeah uh, you know I was I've been somebody that's always been very lucky in life I've always really um sort of adhered to the five h's of humanity right mm-hmm. hard work humility yeah. honesty um a heart yeah and a sense of humor <laughs> and I think 5-Hs are really important and um, we really do believe in those 5-Hs and everyone that I work with does and, um, you know, people in in, in different teams over the years will always say, well, you know, she was tough but she had a heart or they'd say um, she was very human Um, but she had a sense of humour as well, right? So I think those 5-Hs have really guided me along the way and, you know, we all make a lot of mistakes and we all have things in our career that are tougher than others. And so I think there's been, like, times in my career when I was really, really working hard when I was young and I felt like, oh, gosh, have I picked the right career? You know, retail can be very, very tough. And I know as people are sort of, like, climbing the ladder and and, and working hard, it's often because you're surrounded by so many people, you know, it's hard. And, you know, for young people as well today, it's like, how do I stand out? Like, how do I make a difference? Like, how do I get my hard work rewarded? And sometimes, you know, I always say to people, you know, there's something called luck. Which is involved um, from the you know from the onset and is and, and is terribly important. And so I think that um, luck is definitely something that has accompanied me from the very beginning, mm-hmm. and I was just lucky. You know, when I was in Spain working for Estee order, you know, I, I initially started my career. I was a teacher. Um, you know, while I was at university, I had worked at Harrods, and mm-hmm. so that really gave me my love for retail and. I always felt that like Harrods was the best store in the world. Yeah. And I still do, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, and it was such a big part of my life. You know, it was somewhere where I went as a little girl when my mum and I would go every year on her birthday to have lunch there. And we would go shopping. And it was just a very special place for me. You know, it was right. somewhere I went with my grandparents, somewhere I went with my mum. And then, of course, to be working there was just like a dream come true. Right. So, you know, after um, when I started my retail career, I started Estee Lauder. And um, working in PR and marketing, and then eventually in sales and training, and um, you know that really gave me a uh, an insight into the world of retail. You know, the Estee Lauder mantra is bringing the best to everyone we touch. The Harrods mantra is all things to all people everywhere. Wow. You know, and um, you know, my time at Saks it it was very much about live the legacy. You know, and funnily enough. When I look back on my career, I really feel like how privileged and lucky was I to work for three amazing brands that in their own way were all iconic, you know, Harrods was a, you know, 160 year old department store that was iconic in that it was an only department store that was a real destination, you know, and had almost 20 million visitors every year, right? So it was a very unique place to work with a very unique set of broad-based clients right. from the very rich to you know an accidental tourist yeah. and um you know we really believed we had international travelers not tourists but trust me we had a lot of tourists <laughs> um and then you know it sacks the same it was an iconic american brand it was renowned for 90 years as um you know a place that sold all things to all people everywhere yeah. very similar to harrods in the department store sort of emporium scheme of things right. and then of course you know estee lauder which was a a family brand right. that was all about beauty. But really what I loved always about Estée Lauder was that you really did celebrate beauty from within yes. as well. Beauty on the outside, which I think is very important. Right. And um, sometimes people forget, you know, and so I loved the mantra of bringing the best to everyone you touch. I love the mantra of live the legacy at Saks because it left something that, you know, it left something inside you that meant this is iconic. Right. This is a legacy that we have to protect and preserve. And, um, and again, at Harrods, it was really about the assortment and the buyers and, you know, getting to different parts of the world to bring right. the best of fashion, the best of beauty, the best of style. And, you know, funnily enough, with all of those three brands, one of the things that was very important was reputation right. and heritage. And, you know, I always, you know, one of the things that I, I, I feel very strongly about is that even in times of recession, if something is a heritage investment and is going to be a desirable asset, yeah. it will always be in vogue, right? Yeah. It will always be in demand. Yeah. And I think, you know, life was, you know, my life has always been for 30 years about sort of making good choices right. for the customer right. and trying to predict what's relevant today mm-hmm. And what will be relevant for tomorrow? And, you know, life has always been about, you know, celebrating, celebrating lives well lived. And that might be a handbag. Mm -hmm. It might be a lipstick. It might be a fragrance. Mm -hmm. And I always felt that, you know, fragrance was a dream. A moisturizer was always hope in a jar, right? And a lipstick was always a fantasy you know, you put on a bit of red lipstick or a bit of pink lipstick and suddenly you're transformed. And I think that to me, I always, I really did fall in love with retail. I mean, I, you know, people laugh, you know, my partner used to always say, you were born to shop. So you are literally in the ideal job. job, And I don't know whether that's true or not. Most would say it is. But what I do know is I really did from a very early age, kind of understand what people wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that helps. It helps Absolutely. to understand who your consumer is and it helps to understand what is it that people want and what is it that makes retail a retail trend right. and what is it that makes you know, retail continue. So today, you know, when we're at a time when people just do not know what's going on with retail, they do not know what's going on with department stores, it's very clear that, you know, whereas retail has always been about the experience, the environment and the emotion, to get the emotional engagement of the consumer in today's world. We also have to add in that it's about humanity. It's about finding happiness and it's about treasuring hope, right? So for retailers to be successful in today's world, they need to include hope and they need to include happiness and they need to include humanity because otherwise it's just too easy to click. Yes and not venture out. And so I think the big challenge for a lot of the large department stores and a lot of the large brands today is, what do you incorporate into the retail algorithm and into the retail positioning platform that makes it really attractive for, pe- for people to have to actually go to your destination, park a car, and put two or three hours of time out of their day to go visit it. And so to me, that's the privilege. It's the privilege of making the pilgrimage worthwhile, right? And that's why, you know, I've been very fortunate in my time to have great bosses that were very impactful on my life. And whether that was, um, you know, Muhammad Al-Fayed at Harrods, whether that was, um, you know, Michael Ward at Harrods or, you know, whether that was, you know, Leonard Lauder, Estee Lauder, Mohamed Al-Fayed at Harrods, these were people that truly believed in the mission and purpose of their brand. Absolutely. And I think what we're seeing today is that mission and purpose is becoming increasingly more important in retail strategy. Mm-hmm. Mission and purpose is becoming increasingly more important in culture. Right. Inclusivity is for sure the new exclusivity and so, you know, in that in in that way and in that sort of dynamic, it's really important that we kind of understand, like, what are we doing, where are we going, and how are we going to get there? Exactly. More so than ever before. Right. You know, in the 80s, retail was about transactions. You put it on the shelf, it sold, yes. you ordered more. Yeah. In the 90s, retail was really all about personal shopping, right? You nurtured the client. Right. You know, if you were a cosmetic consultant, you probably wore a white coat to give them a feeling of more, um, you know, this is really good for you. Um, Personal shopping came into its own. It was all about nurturing the customer, inviting the customer. But, you know, in the new millennium, in the the new millennial and new millennium years, that changed. Suddenly we went from sort of teachers and students in the 80s. The client was the student. The sales associate was the teacher, Right. right? to doctors and patients in the nineties when the clients were the patients, the doctors told them what to buy or wrote the prescription for them and they decided what to buy into within that personal prescription and personal shopping. But in today's world, it's really much more about host and guest. The customers are the guests, the brands are the hosts. Absolutely. So hospitality, service and convenience have become Hugely important. And so, therefore, um, you know, people are focused very much on how do we service our guests? How do we invite them into? And, and it's basically like inviting a customer into your home. And so, I think the successful retailers have really understood that it is about hospitality and it is about finding happiness and it is about finding hope and it is about finding humanity. And it's how we Gear the humanity to really meet the needs of the consumer, not just of today, but the consumer of tomorrow. Yes. Added to that, we're in the middle of a social flux, a cultural flux, a political flux. Yeah. We're in a situation where relevance is key, where um, being PC is key, and where understanding What's relevant and what's appropriate and what's not is going to become increasingly more important. And sometimes that might make people more cautious and not as exciting. So it's striking the balance between being cautious and correct and being fabulous and inspiring and how we find the balance. And I think, you know, um, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, you know, what are we going to do with all the malls that are around the country? Uh, You know, what are we going to do with all the large department stores when we're so over to department stores and where digital is growing at such a force and at such a speed that we're probably going to need less physical and more digital. But that doesn't mean that we won't need physical. Mm -hmm. I'm a great believer that department stores will be around for a long time. I'm a great believer that retail will be around for a long time. It just might look slightly different than it's looked before. And it might just slightly feel different. Than it's felt before. And so I think the onus on us as retailers and merchants, and even though in today's world, you know, I'm very focused on my fund and very focused on being um, a tech investor Mm -hmm. and a good strategic um, retail analyst, you know, for my retainer clients, I think that at heart I'm a merchant. I've always been a merchant. I probably always will be a merchant. And, um, you know, when my friends were reading Barbie magazine or Cindy magazine, I was glued to the pages of Vogue from the age of 10 and just was inspired by fashion as fantasy and by beauty as fantasy. And so, you know, I always felt that I was the luckiest girl in the world to be able to work in an environment that I loved and adored Mm -hmm. and an environment that to me was like, I feel at home, like wherever I am in the world, even, even if I don't speak the language, I get into a department store and I'm like, yes, I can breathe. This is kind of my terrain. This is kind of my space. And so it's funny because, um, you know, what I do today, you know, years ago, you know, I learned how to interact with people as a school teacher and then as a trainer at Estee Lauder and then as a sales and marketing person at Estee Lauder. You know, then at Harrods, I learned how to be a merchant, how to, you know, work with a team of buyers, how to work with a team of general managers, mm-hmm. how to source um, great product, right. but also how to source a great deal. Because yeah. there's no use having great product if yeah, it's not a great, great deal, deal. Yeah. both for the customer and for you. Yeah. So, you know, it's always been a question of balance. And I think good merchants understand the balance between the fantasy and the commercial underpinning. Right. Because in order to make a profit, we have to be commercial and so I think that that's kind of like my journey and I really see the sort of each decade has brought something new and so you know my 20s as a teacher and as a young executive at in order. you know my 30s as a buyer and a general manager you know my 40s as a fashion director and as a chief merchant and as a president of a company and then you know my 50s now, although I still think I'm 30, but clearly (laughs) I'm not, um, you know, my 50s as as an investor and as a retail strategist, um, you know, where the last 30 years of life, of experience, um, and of relationships comes to the forefront of what do I do tomorrow? Exactly.
0: Exactly. Um, And that is why... uh... I, I honestly believe that you are powerful and um, because the fact that you were able to maneuver between the the companies and even as you speak you know and you it's it's evident that you are a strategist um and you of course you know you'll feel very well and you're speaking about you know tomorrow um and I think that is what so many businesses companies brands individuals as founders and you know, CEOs of companies, they need to be focused on at the moment. I think a lot of people are currently stuck in what's happening now that they are forgetting that there is a tomorrow and that is something that need, they, they absolutely, 100%, they need to focus on because what then, when we come out of this, which we will, yes. will
1: we do? Well, yeah. and we will and we need to be prepared exactly. and, you know, Exactly. In the in the British terminology, proper preparation prevents poor performance, right? Exactly. So, you know, instead of worrying about, you know, what we're going to do, we need to sit down and do it. And, exactly. you know, if we fail, exactly. we can start again. Exactly. You know, I think one of the biggest impediments to success, I've often said this throughout my career, is um, fear of failure. And you know, I failed many times at, at different things, and I've been successful at different things. Right. And I think, you know... I think we, we can't be scared of failure because failure makes us stronger. Absolutely. And sometimes you have to have loss to I be agree able to win. I agree. And sometimes the losses make you stronger Absolutely. and the losses make you uh, more resilient yes. and more better prepared to take on the future. Absolutely. And I think, you know, today I consider myself so fortunate because I have a great business partner at Farnbrook Capital. Um. He's kind of the brains of the outfit because right. he's the investment banker, the lawyer, the accountant, <laughs> and he's great and a, a great supporter. And I'm kind of the merchant of right. the duo right. and the creative. I'm the creative, um, the creative brain. And, you know, in my new life today, we work with young people and young, talented founders right. to invest in their companies and help them scale their companies and help them grow. Yes. And, you know, we're very fortunate. We have 32 companies in our portfolio. We, we just had our first exit um, um, during COVID, which I'm very, um, I'm very pleased about. And, you know, we have two more exits on the horizon and we hope to raise our second fund um, in the fall of 2021, spring 22. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's really incredible because I meet such amazing women who have so, so much talent and have such great opportunity And basically, um, you know, it's interesting because over half of our fund, in fact, almost 60% of our fund is female-founded, female-led. And I think it's interesting that every time we invest in a female-founded company, 10 more (sighs) call call me to see their brands or call me to see their products. And I think, you know, we invest in consumer tech, in the categories of beauty, fashion, um, outdoors, and, and, you know, Sports and at, at leisure, right. um, food, and then technology and retail services. That's but really all exciting. of our companies are based on consumer tech, so we're consumer first, mm-hmm. people first mm-hmm. company, and so humanity in what we do mm-hmm. is really important. And you know, we're working now on purpose and mission right. because we feel we have to have that purpose and mission if, in fact. We're going to help our companies. And, you know, we're very involved with some of our companies, right. not as involved with other companies. Mm-hmm. You know, it depends on the founder. It depends on the entrepreneur. Right. Some of them need or like to touch base weekly or fortnightly. And some of them don't want you to speak to them at least, Absolutely. more, you know, more than once a quarter. Right. But this has been a very interesting year mm-hmm. where we've all grown and we've all learned to deal with challenges. because. The challenge of COVID and the challenge of shutdown and the challenge of lockdown on production schedules, on distribution schedules, on morale, just morale and cash flow and sort of helping our companies be able to get their loans Mm -hmm. in a a timely manner so that they don't go out of business. Helping our companies with support on tone and mission statements, helping our companies pivot if what they're doing is not going to be relevant for the time of the pandemic, Mm -hmm. to try and do something that is relevant. Um, All those sorts of things, you know, it's just, we're so fortunate to work with such smart, such talented people. Mm -hmm. And I just feel, you know, I feel very humbled and I feel like it's great. You know, I've had a very different time in my thirties to my forties to now my Mm fifties. And now I feel like my world is starting all over again. You know, it's a new year, it's a new world. I would have liked to have been further down the vaccination um, schedule with the pandemic right now, but I'm sure it will come. And I think that once people are all vaccinated, you know, we'll be able to get back to the times of joy and hope and inspiration Absolutely. and new ideas. Absolutely. But I do think that COVID has given rise to a lot of new ideas I think so. and new ideals that are not necessarily going to go away. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that many of the people that have worked from home during COVID will continue to do so after the pandemic yes. because they've figured it out. Yes. And some people have figured out, well, I don't actually want to be in a car for two hours every day just to go to work. And yes. those two hours could be spent being super creative yeah. and adding value. And maybe I only need to go into the office one day a week yes. on a Friday to wrap up. Or maybe I need to go in on a Monday to Monday. start the week. Right. And then work Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from the house. Or right. maybe I'll work Monday, Tuesday from the house and work Wednesday, Thursday from the office. Right and Friday be in between. I think people are asking themselves a lot of questions. And I think the importance of family, the importance of relationships, and the importance of work-life work life balance has really been highlighted during COVID.
0: Absolutely. I agree. Um, and I just wanted to know, why tech?
1: You know, I've always felt that the future of Retail was going to be in tech. And even though those that know me very well will say she's like the least savvy person. It's amazing that I can get on Blue Jeans, Microsoft Meets, Google Hangouts and Zoom <laughs> the way I do. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's very interesting because I always felt that, you know, you could see even seven years ago when I when I came to take over, um, uh, you know, running Saks that digital was growing at a far greater pace than physical. And that has only increased um, over the last few years. And of course, during COVID, it's exponential growth. And I just don't think that the consumer is going to go back in the same way that I don't think the consumer, you know, clean beauty, clean fashion, clean planet is a trend. It's a trend that's not going to go away. You know, wellness and self-care, not just as a result of the pandemic, but aided by the pandemic, Is a huge trend that's not going to go away. I mean, I personally think, you know, all that sort of category of holistic therapies, you know, healthcare, self care is going to become increasingly more important as people realize the fragility and the sensitivity of life, which this pandemic has shown us. Where globally, you know, six or seven billion people around the world are wearing masks, Mm -hmm. where globally, six or seven billion people around the world are scared and frightened and not so secure in their world and where it doesn't really matter whether you're rich or poor you're all affected absolutely and so i think that's been a great leveler for a lot of industries and for a lot of people and i think embracing that fragility and that sensitivity of the human race is super important to understand where we're going because for those of us that have children and you know that are millennials and Gen Z like I do, I mean, their concerns, their wishes and their dreams are very, very different to the dreams that I had 30 years ago. And they've had very different experiences. They've they've been brought up with iPhones, with computers and interacting in the digital sphere where we used to go to a mall to meet people, to hang out or go to a cinema to... You know, enjoy our time. Yeah. They're meeting on their phones and they have a mobile community and they have a very different view on life than the view that we have. And so to me, really fusing that humanity with that digital sense yes. is really has taken on my focus for, for technology as, as a platform for investment. And I think, you know, I think, you know, um, Kathleen, who's on, who's on the call, will recall, you know, I mean, seven years ago, when I came here, um, seven and a half years ago now, I was like, why do we have 40 doors when 65 or 68% of our business is done in the top 10 doors? Surely that means we only need 20 doors. And to invest the rest in technology. Right. And actually, even today, I would say I have the same, the same belief. Right that we are, as a country, over cadenced with department stores. That doesn't mean that department stores aren't fabulous. It means that there's too many of them for the desire and the demand. And therefore, the ones that will survive have to be fabulous, have to be fantastic, have to be entertaining, have to be engaging, and have to be exciting. I love E's, right? So exciting, entertaining, engaging, extraordinary. (laughs) I always think E was a letter made for retail because all the E's are very, very important to have successful retail. You know, I've just come back from California where, you know, walking around Pacific Palisades and um, the Palisades Village, I think Rick Caruso did such a good job there. You know, walking around South Coast Plaza, um, you know, they've done a really good job, but it's easier in places like Florida and California where the weather is so much more clement. You know, it's, it's, it's so much more favourable to outdoor shopping, yeah. outdoor dining, and outdoor experiences it's kind of easier to create that sort of like interactive world our challenge is how do we do that in closed spaces and how do we create outdoor spaces in cold weather places right. because i think this sort of trend for outdoor dining and outdoor entertainment and outdoor shopping is not going to go away just because the pandemic goes away right so I think we have to figure that out as well, and that's some of the, some of what we spend some of our time doing as well.
0: Amazing! Thank you so much, Marieke. That's that's incredible. I really really love that, um, and I just wanted you to expand a little bit more on, on your teaching. Actually, hearing you speak now is evident. Um, I, I guess why you even became a teacher because it seems like you 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 love just you love people, and um, it seems like you you love to impart knowledge. Um, what did you teach, and how did it go from teaching? I know you said that, you know, you used to visit Harrod's a lot, and that's kind of how you fell into it. Um but what convinced you that, okay, it's not it's not teaching, even though i'm even though you may have loved it. Um, but yeah.
1: what you know it's, I always said I would never be a teacher because my mom was a teacher. Oh, really? so I was a sad kid who grew up with um my mom, who was a teacher, who was a fabulous teacher. Um she was Spanish. And she was very strict. And so I grew up having to do my homework at the back of her classrooms. Like if she had late classes, I was not allowed to go home by myself. I had to sit, all her students knew me, all the other teachers knew me. And I was like the sad kid that had to sit at the back of their mom's class doing their homework or in the library of whichever school my mom was teaching (laughs) at. Because my parents were both great believers in education. And my parents both, I I would say, they were both defined by the fact that education was a priority, right? Okay. So it didn't matter actually if I was that nice or that naughty or or, or or that kind to them. Whereas that matters a lot to me with my kids. Right. What really mattered was what 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 did you do at your O levels? What did you do at your A levels? You know what degree are you going to get? What job are you going to get? And so it's really interesting because. Um, I always vowed I would never be a teacher because I saw how hard my mother worked. And, you know, there were some evenings where I just wanted to have like a nice conversation with her. And I would have a nice conversation with her with 30 or 60 textbooks in between us (laughs) as she sat there marking with her red and green pen. And I noticed that she always would write kind things to her students that were really either disadvantaged or that had issues and my mum was a section 11 teacher so she she taught a lot of kids that nobody else wanted to teach right. and refugees and kids that didn't have very many means and sometimes you know I would get home and you know when you're a sort of 15 16 year old and you get home and your mum's brought her students home because they don't have anywhere to go because mm-hmm. they're not allowed to be home till 10 or 11 o'clock at night or whatever and I always remember being so ungrateful and my mum saying to me it's minus three degrees and they've got nowhere to go wow. and you know you let you you know now I realize what an amazing inspiration she was right. that she would bring the kids that she thought were most at risk home right. now I didn't like coming home and seeing them in my clothes or seeing them in my room or seeing them but now when I look back I'm like wow that was like so amazing but of course when you're 15 or 16 you, yeah, don't, you don't really have that the, <laughs> the bird's eye view that I have today i yeah. um, so I mean, my mum just died last year actually at 91 and she really was a formidable woman and teaching was her life. And so it was funny because I wanted to be a lawyer. And actually, those that know me well and know how argumentative I am and how I love to um, be a debater and I was like chairman of the debating society at school, I love a good debate, um, which is why I'm so interested in politics, by the way, although we won't talk about that that (laughs) here. But um, I, I have to say... I never, ever thought I would be a teacher. And then halfway through my degree, I had lecturers that were very inspiring to me. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I actually think I could be a teacher. Mm. And my parents nearly fell over when I said to them I was not going to do a law degree after doing history and modern languages. And, you know, I was studying like French, Italian and Spanish, always loved languages like my dad and my mum. Both were sort of multilingual and it's so interesting. You know, I finished my degree. My parents were like, she's going to go and do law now. I was like, I'm moving to Spain and I am going to become an English teacher. And they were like, what? And so I was so lucky. I was an English teacher in Madrid. I loved it. I had a great time. The kids love you when you're their teacher. And when, when you know, the young kids loved me. The older kids, not so much. I was very strict. I found teaching the 16, 17, and 18 year olds hard because I was like 22 Yeah. So when I started, but I loved all the little kids, like the five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, like your God to those children. <laughs> but I think what what was really good about that experience for me was that relating to young kids right. and relating to older difficult kids. They were very privileged kids that I was teaching, you know, it really gives you a um a strong outer shell. Yeah. And it really makes you resilient. Right. Because, you know, the little ones see you as a goddess, but the big ones just want to make your life hell. Yes. And so the, 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 the balance between the two actually was very good for my grounding in retail. And then, you know, my last year of teaching, I was approached by a headhunter to go to work at a cosmetic company. And I jokingly said to them, well, if you double my salary from what I'm making as a teacher? Because I have three months holiday every year, which I love because exactly. yeah. I love to travel. Yeah. Um, And I love to explore new places and and, and visit new continents. And when I was younger, I would travel a lot. And um, they did. And so I'd love to say that there was an altruistic reason for me going into retail. But it was my background at Harrods, really, that was the underpinning. And then this offer to go and work for Estée Lauder, which I just loved. And I was a Clinique girl through and through at the time. So they didn't have to persuade me. I was actually the authentic Estée Lauder girl. And you know, to this day, Double Wear Foundation and, uh, you know, um, a lot of the Estee Lauder Hero products like their Advanced Night Repair yeah. is still on my bathroom shelf today. You know, So for me, it was like, yes, I'd love to go and work in beauty. And that sort of led to then me going into Harrods and becoming the head of beauty. Right. Then eventually the head of accessories and fashion and then eventually the chief merchant. But it sounds really simple, but it was actually a long journey, a long journey because yeah. I was there for 13 years. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. And so I'm very privileged because I really feel that I have been on a very long journey where life has been kind to me. And I've been very fortunate to work with great people, talented people. You know, a career is never based on somebody, one person. It's based on the teams and the the people that you've been able to develop, that have developed alongside you right. um, as your partners. Right. And so my teams were always my partners. And I was very, very lucky to work with great teams at Harrods, great teams at Sachs, great teams at Estee Lauder. And I was just lucky that, you know, when I was at Estee Lauder, I was living in Spain. People kept getting pregnant. So when they got pregnant and they went on maternity leave, I took their job at Harrods. At um, Harrods. There was less pregnancies, but there was um, a lot of hirings and firings at the time yeah. when I first started there. And so every time somebody left, I would get the next yeah. position. Right. And so I always say that actually, I'm kind of like the accidental shop girl <laughs> because I was always given somebody's job through luck right. and destiny. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of hard work as well involved in between. But I was very lucky. I was very lucky. Um I was very lucky at Harrods and Sachs. Really, I was very fortunate because I would never have come to America without the opportunity to run Sachs. And, right. you know, um, it was a good grounding for me and a good entry point into America. And so, yeah, so I think gratitude and uh, kindness, which are two of the trends, by the way, that I think are going to be very important as we move out of COVID right. and move on from 2020. I think I feel um, very grateful. And I feel that um, people, the world has been kind to me. My friends have been kind to me. My family's been kind and my work has been kind. And now I feel it's time for us to give a little bit of that kindness back. And I think, you know, random acts of kindness will change the world. And I think companies have to figure out how to incorporate random, random acts of kindness into their brand philosophies, their brand mission statements, so that they can still surprise and delight the consumer. And within the companies that we invest in, I think humanity is at the forefront of every strategy that all of our entrepreneurs are working on today. And I think what's really interesting is that when you're a startup and you're a young company, you can do that from inception. You can do that from the very beginning. When you're an established um, heritage company it's harder to do because you've got to backtrack That's and you've got true. to see how to incorporate it. That's Whereas true. synergistically, if you're a young startup, you can start with all of those company values yeah. at the core. Exactly. And grow. Exactly. Well, so Mary-Gate anyway, is- but it, but inclusivity being celebrated
0: as the new exclusivity, one of the biggest trends um, moving forward. I love which that. Which is great to hear. Mary Gay. it has been an, the utmost pleasure. Um, you mentioned something there at the end. You said... Um, destiny and that's the word i'd like to use for you instead of luck i think you were destined um to do what you do um it's very very clear um i think if it was just luck anybody else could have done it and you know those women that um let's say you know got pregnant um they could have always come back and claimed their job but because i think it was always meant to be yours it was destiny um clearly it, your your experience and um, what you're able to do now speaks for itself and there we have it we've now come to the end of episode two thank you so much Gay, and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us i think what i enjoyed most was just hearing Gay speak about the new world and what brands and companies now needed to do to be of service to their customers join me next time for a brand new conversation with her